Welcome to Heart of the Father Ministries and the preaching and teaching ministry of Dr. David Nichols. Our prayer for you is that this message will pierce your heart and raise you into your place of destiny in Jesus Christ. And we're going to pray a prayer together right now and then we're just going to go into the Word. Raise your voice now and pray this prayer with me. Father, Father open, the eyes of my heart. open the eyes of my heart. Unstop the ears of my spirit. That I may know your ways. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and say, my eyes are open. Yeah. John chapter 14, please. Friends, this morning we are going to disarm the orphan spirit. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go on a disarming of the orphan spirit. I want to read with you in John chapter 14, in verse 15. Verse 15 in John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and shall be in you. Now look at verse 18 in your Bible. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. My friend, that is a promise from Jesus. As he stands here and speaks on behalf of the Father, that you have got to let God burn into your heart and into your spirit today. Because I'm here to tell you that hell has loosed upon this earth a spirit of abandonment, a spirit of rejection, a spirit of being left alone. I'm alone and forsaken in this world. I've got to figure this thing out for myself. I'm struggling and trying and somehow I never quite get there. It is a spirit that is powerful in your city here. I've felt it as I've been here in my short time here with you. But I'm here to tell you something today. Jesus came and he said, I am not going to leave you orphans. Now I have a question for you this morning. We're preparing to commemorate 911, and I know you're having a service here and Pastor was telling me about it. It's going to be a great time of, of remembering those who served and, and those who, whose lives were lost in that time. What could possibly control the thinking and the actions of a person or a group of persons to fly planes into buildings, destroy innocent lives, and bring about a catastrophe of the time that we of the kind that we had just about a year ago. Well, it's the major tenets of Muslim fundamentalism. That's what it is. And I want to tell you something today. The reason those people are doing those things is they are caught up in the orphan spirit. If you want to get a healthy, Bible-based perspective on Muslims and how you can help them, start to understand that they've been left orphans. You see, Muhammad came about 700 years after Christ, 
And he was disillusioned with the church, the Christian church, as he experienced it. And he crawled into a cave. And, there, and this is actually written in Muslim writings. There, a, a jinn appeared to him. That's their word for it can either be translated angel or demon. And this was most certainly a demon. Appeared to him and said certain things to him and revealed things to him. And the, the Quran over time came into existence. And it became a religion of resistance, a religion of rebellion, a religion of, of fighting since its very inception. And then came the day when Muhammad died. It wasn't a very large religious movement at that time. But this orphan spirit and this spirit of fighting and I'm going to get my way back and I'm going to get what's right for me began to catch hold all across those North African regions and in the Middle East. And now today, hundreds of millions of people are caught in the web of this false religion and this false teaching. But my friend, your eyes, when you look at them, have got to become eyes of mercy and eyes of compassion. You've got to start looking at them with Father's eyes, not just as an enemy to be destroyed, as lives and souls of people who have been left orphans. You see, Muhammad left them orphans, and they're fighting mad. And, and they knock down our buildings. It's time for the Christians in the United States of America to rise up and pray and seek God and begin to pour mercy. Yeah, let's, let's go for it here. Yeah. And to begin to pour mercy and love and compassion and truth on Muslim people that are all around us here. In our city, the city of Minneapolis, it's an amazing thing. We have over 40,000 Somalians that have immigrated there. Every one of them, as they come, is a Muslim. I know you have many, many of them in this city. They are objects of the mercy and grace of God. He wants to come to them. He wants to redeem them. He wants to move them out of that orphan spirit. Now, it's one thing for us to talk about Muslims being in this orphan spirit. But when people who are Christians and who have read the Bible and have come to church for a while are still in this orphan spirit, we have something that should really concern us. And that is really the thrust of my message here this morning, friend. Because I believe God is going to set some people free this morning. I believe He's going to come with fire and power and life. And I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 in your Bible. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. My friend, that is the orphan spirit. Now here Paul is speaking about it. We heard about it from Jesus in the Gospel of John. Now the Apostle Paul speaks about it here in Romans. And he says, you're not receiving the spirit of bondage to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. Abba, Father. Let's cry that out together here in this place this morning. Could we just raise our voices and just say, Abba, 
Father, let's do it again. Abba, Father, let's do it again. Abba, Father. Friend, that word in the Hebrew original means daddy. It is a term of endearment. It is an intimate term. It is a term of a little two-year-old boy, a little five-year-old girl that crawls up on daddy's lap and says, Daddy, I love you. That's the kind of term that it is. Friend, I'm here to tell you today that the orphan spirit has entered into our ranks within Christianity. It has caused confusion. It has caused division. It has caused us to rise up against one another. But Jesus has come into the house and Jesus has said, I will not leave you orphans. So friends, I want to tell you something this morning. We are going to quit operating and behaving and conducting our Christian lives as though we were orphans. We've been adopted. We've been brought into Jesus and into the house of the Father. That's what Jesus came to do. You know, it's amazing as you start reading about Jesus in the Gospels, just about every time he talks about heaven, he's talking about the Father is greater than I. He's talking about if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He's talking about the Father has given me tasks to do and I'm doing. I'm doing what I see the Father doing. It's what Jesus is constantly saying. And friend, for those 33 years that Jesus lived on this earth, what we saw, and for those three years of his ministry especially, what we saw finally in the history of mankind was a son. I want you to get this this morning. A son in a perfect relationship with his Father. Did you realize with me today that Jesus did no miracle? Jesus preached no sermon. He did not lift his voice to teach a crowd until he went to the Jordan River and was baptized by John. And when he came up out of that water, a voice spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Friend, I want to tell you, if Jesus needed the Father's approval before he would go out into his ministry in this earth, you and I most certainly have got to live and move and have our being in this Christian life under Father's approval. I'm going to try to show you the way back to that here this morning if you'll give me a few minutes to develop this. You see, as a human being, you were created in the image of God. You understand that from Genesis chapter 1? Now the image of God is an incredible thing. In 1 John chapter 4, John tells us that not just that God puts out love or that God has love, he tells us several times in that chapter that God is love. So, in Genesis chapter 1, we learn that we were created in the image of God. That means we were created to receive love and give it away. Every single one of us. Every man and every woman. Every boy and every girl on this planet. Every race of people. Every, every nation created to receive love and give it away. 
God had this wonderful plan that he would have a race of human beings on this earth that would just be doing that all the time. So he created Adam, he created Eve, and it put them in the garden, and, and things were great for a while. Father came down. Do you remember how this reads in Genesis chapter 2? He came down and he fellowshiped with them. He talked with them. He walked with them. Actual, an actual tangible form of God in the cool of the day with his son Adam and his daughter Eve that he had made with his own hands. Where in the world then could this orphan spirit come that causes estrangement and alienation and rebellion and rejection into God's beautiful world? Well, you and I both know that it happened in chapter 3 of Genesis as the serpent came and said, Eve, this word God has spoken, that's not really the real thing. He's just trying to keep you guys tied up in knots here. He's trying to keep the really good stuff. This knowledge of good and evil, that's what you really want, don't you? Oh, you know you want it. Oh, yes, dear. It'll be so good for you. That's the voice of the devil, the voice of the serpent, the tempter. And you know the story. Eve and then Adam said yes. Instead of just having the knowledge of good... Instead of just having the knowledge of heaven and Father's favor and walking with Him, continuously free and open, loving relationship, Adam and Eve says, yes, we'll take our knowledge with a mixture of good and evil. Something that the human beings, Adam and Eve, were not designed to carry. Friend, do you understand why then when sin and corruption and disease and death are at work in our world, we are living in, in an environment and we are living in an exposure to things that we were never designed to be a part of in the first place. We were designed and created to receive love and give it away. But instead, because of Satan's temptation and Adam and Eve's agreement to it, now we have disease now we have death. Now we have sin. Now we have people killing one another. We have people fighting with one another. We have people flying planes into buildings. Wars all over this planet. And the list goes on and on. The orphan spirit is really Satan's grand design for defeating the purpose of God. Because when a man... And when a woman understands the fact and the truth of their adoption that we just read about here in Romans chapter 8, I am telling you what we were praising the Lord for, what Pastor was ministering to you here just a little while ago in the mighty gifts of the Spirit. Hell cannot withstand it and hold it back. You see, that's why Satan is so urgent to keep his orphan spirit, that mindset, that mentality. I'm estranged, I'm rejected, I'm held down, I'm this little insignificant thing. He's got to keep that intact. Otherwise, the church is going to rise up in mighty power and strength. And I'm here to tell you today that that is going to happen. And this orphan spirit is going to break off. And Jesus is going to rise up powerful. Yes! Thank you, Lord. Why not here in Cicero? Why not here in western Chicago? Why not all over Chicago in the name of Jesus? Yeah! After Adam and Eve 
gave their consent to sin and death and disease. They didn't know they were doing that, but that's what they were doing. God the Father, still in love and mercy, and you can read this right at the end of chapter 3 in Genesis, he had to drive them out of the Garden of Eden. He knew that if he left them in there, that tree of life was in there, and that if they partook of it in that condition, now this sinful condition, they'd be bound in that condition forever. That was not acceptable to his love and to his mercy. So he drove them out of the garden. Now you can imagine the field day that Satan had with that. What kind of a father is this? Here he was at all this wonderful fellowship with you, and now you make one little mistake. Yeah, a little mistake, right? Like plunging the whole human race into the fall into sin. You make one little mistake, and he throws you right out of the garden. Boy, what a, you're, you're rejected. You're abandoned. You're this little. You're going to have to fight this thing out for yourself, boy. Be tough, you know. Get, get up, get in competition with your neighbor. Get, get better crops than him. You know, let your animals be raised up stronger than him. Oh, that spirit of competition, you do it better. Yeah, that's the voice of the orphan spirit. That's the voice of hell that's been speaking to the human race for thousands of years now. And friends... You follow this story all through the Old Testament, you'll see this orphan spirit being raised up in, right in the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel, what happens? Abel's sacrifice is received by God and Cain's isn't. What do you mean? My sacrifice is just as good as his. I'll kill him! And that's exactly what he did. The orphan spirit even though he knew who his parents were, even though they, 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 I mean, they were the only people on earth, the orphan spirit was still there. Jacob and Esau, twin brothers. Esau comes out of the womb first. He's got a little guy hanging onto his heel. Remember that? Hanging on. Hey, what's this? A hand hanging on the heel. Let's call him heel catcher. Wow, what a neat name, you know? Rip-off artist, deceiver. And that's exactly what Jacob was. Fighting in war, brother against brother. That orphan spirit, you better get it for yourself. You better get it away from him, or he's going to rise up and be better than you. Yeah, that's the voice. There it speaks again. Friend, you follow this all through the Old Testament. And you see that this orphan spirit has had a heyday in this human race into beings that were designed by God to receive love and give it away. I want to just give you this morning the six types of fathers that exist in this world. There's probably no father that is just one of these purely. Most fathers are a combination of several of these. A friend, if we're going to understand how to disarm this orphan spirit, we're going to have to take in, enter into some transparency and into some honesty with where we've been. You see, because in his design, 
in the beginning, Father God designed that in the, the human family there would be fathers too, and that those fathers would be the representation, the representation of who he is. And so Satan, of course, saw this right away, and he said, well, here we go. So these fathers on this earth are going to be the great representation of him. You know, Satan's worst enemy, God the Father. Says, ha ha, I know where to attack now. I'll attack in the whole area of the fathers and what it means to be a father. We'll just attack right there in that point where they're the weakest. Where they regenerate themselves. There's where it all happens. Father and son, father and daughter. And another generation comes on the scene. Satan says, if we can just get some, some cracks in the door there, if we can just get some enmity and some rejection and some fear going in there, ha we'll have it made. Because that's what they'll think father is like. Uh-huh. Let's see how he's done as Satan has adopted this strategy down through the ages of human history. There really are six major types of fathers. The first kind of father is the good father. He's a providing father, a loving father, the, the ideal father that everybody wants to have, who is strong and yet compassionate, loving of his children, and, and caring and embraces them and takes them in his arms. But even, friend, in this fallen world now where death and sin have been loosed, even the good father has times when he cannot prevent himself from hurting his children. Even good fathers die in the childhood or in the young adulthood of their children. And the children feel abandoned and rejected and left alone. Here I am, I'm alone in this world, what am I going to do now? And that's under the best of circumstances in fathers. The second kind of father is the performance-oriented father. With this kind of father, there's love. It's a love that comes when you perform well. If you're on the athletic field, if you're a football player, you're coming into the football season here now, so we're in the big game with the neighboring town, and Sonny Boy is the quarterback, and he's flushed out of the pocket, but he lets one go down the field, and the wide receiver grabs it in the last seconds of the game, and he falls over the goal line. Man, oh man, Dad's on his feet. He's, that's my boy. Oh, wow. Here we go. Performance-oriented father. Thing is, though, next week... Another big game. Sonny Boy gets flushed out of the pocket. And the, line, the, the defensive line gets him and he gets sacked. Final seconds of the game and they lose by two points. It's a whole different story then. His father isn't jumping. He's not loving. There are words that come out of his mouth. Words of hurt, words of rejection. And Sonny Boy comes to understand that love is conditional. When I perform, I get it. 
when I don't or can't perform, then he doesn't love me. It's very interesting. Then Sonny Boy comes to church, and we preachers in church stand up and say, God is this great father. He says, hmm, I must have to perform. So he signs up for five committees and 16 outreaches and 52 other ministries. And here he is. He's, he's here at church, man. He's going to perform. Going to make Father love him. Friends, there are a lot of Christians. Can you hear me today? There are a lot of Christians that live their whole Christian life that way. Can I speak some truth to you here today? Father doesn't love you more when you perform and less when you don't. He loves you the same all the time. He loves you when you walk into that grocery store and lead a soul to Christ. And He also still loves you when you go to the gas station and the Holy Spirit says to you, go over there and lay your hands on that person, I'm going to heal him. And you go, I can't do that. And you back out and you get in your car and drive home and you utterly fail. He still loves you. How many can say amen to that here this morning? He's a Father of love. He's a Father of mercy. The third kind of Father is the passive Father. The passive father is a father who is there. He is in the home. When the subject usually ever comes around to love and tenderness and intimacy and that kind of stuff, the response is usually something like this. Look at this roof over your head. You got food on that table. I go to this job every day. I drive, I fight this lousy traffic, and here now, give me my paper and leave me alone. And a lot of passive fathers don't say that in those words, but their actions are exactly that. They're there, but they're not really there. They're just kind of there. People who are raised up under a passive father Many of them are people who really struggle with the whole thing of merely giving mental assent to the truths about God. They say, yes, I understand this idea about God. Yes, I understand this teaching and this doctrine. and so. But as far as ever really getting God the Father in their heart, it is really hard. But the good news is Jesus came. And he said, I will not leave you orphans. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The fourth kind of father is the absentee father. The father who has left desertion, divorce, all kinds of other situations that happen in life. The father is not there. He's not there when this four-year-old boy and this seven-year-old girl wake up in the morning and when they go to bed at night. His father tells himself, well, it doesn't really matter. Things were too hard. Things were too bad. Well, I'm here to say, actually, it does matter. 
it matters a lot to the little boy and to the little girl. And friend, there is a wake-up call that is coming to this nation. That Jesus is coming to heal. If you're here today, friend, listen to me, and you failed your children, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to tear you down. I'm here to confront you with truth and tell you that there is mercy. There is compassion. And there is forgiveness. And there is healing that comes on the inside from this mighty Father who is in heaven. But he is not a father of this kind. He's not an absentee father. There are many Christians in our world today for whom God is an absentee father. We just kind of, we study about him, we learn about him, we talk about him once in a while, we kind of commemorate his memory every once in a while, but as far as any meaningful involvement in our lives, well, he's just off doing something else. He's, you know, living in another town, living in another universe, God the Father, and uh, we don't really know him too well. Yeah. Number five kind of father is the authoritarian father. The authoritarian father understands that he is the head of the house, understands maybe he's a Christian man, he's gotten some, some teaching about the priest of the house. And so when it comes to making the kids obey, the voices get red. You kids get in there and clean those rooms now! It's the fourth time I've told you! Some of you have heard that tone of voice way too much. Way too much. The authoritarian father demands. The authoritarian father commands but there is no closeness and there is no intimacy. It's all one direction, downward to you, and you will obey. People raised under this kind of a father come to church. We preachers get up and preach. We say, God's a father. They say, oh my, he must have a loud, angry voice. When God speaks, it must be loud, it must be commanding. He's going to tell me something I don't want to do. Pack your bags and get over to Africa tomorrow. <laughs> That's what people think. <clears throat> you wretch. You know, <laughs> what have you been waiting for? When you're raised under an authoritarian father, that's how you come to church. I'm telling you, the father I'm representing today has authority, oh man. <laughs> he's got all authority. And he's given it to Jesus. But he's not interested in commanding you and ordering you and, and, and making you feel like a puppet. And I would just like to go on record as challenging those false forms of theology and even of quote-unquote Christian teaching that make us puppets on these strings. Yes, you're here in this world, dear, and God is just manipulating you and moving you around. He's got you in this little situation over here and you have no control. Baloney! He has created you as a free, willing, moral being. And he is looking to you to relate to him in a free, open relationship of love. 
He wants to put His mercy and His compassion upon you. Remember, you were created to receive love and give it away. Well, the sixth and last kind of father is the abusive father. This is probably the hardest type of father to talk about. But I want you to hear me carefully. There is no person in this room today who has not been abused either by a father or by an authority figure, either verbally or physically or sexually or some other way that has brought pain to the inside of you. You see, that's what happens when you get abused. That's why Satan attacks so hard. That's why he's so interested in getting fathers to abuse their children. Because when that happens, and you carry that over into this picture and this image of Father God, say, oh my. And friend, I want to tell you today, you've got hundreds and thousands of people living around this church today who have that view of God. I'm not going near that church. I'm not uh, Christians. I'm staying away from them. All, all I know is abuse and all I know is pain. Well, friends, I've got some good news for you and for them today. There is still a purpose and there is still a plan that God has that is going to overturn the will and the purpose of Satan. You were created to receive love and give it away. And if there's pain in there that is bottling it up and stopping it up, I've got some really good news for you. Jesus is the healer. <laughs> and He not only heals physical bodies, He does that all the time, He also heals us on the inside. I call it inner healing and outer healing. Okay, that's just kind of a uh, phrase I've coined. Inner healing is the healing of the heart, the healing of the soul. Would you understand with me today, friend, that there is a difference between being forgiven of sin and being healed of the impact and the outcome and the consequences of those sins that have been sinned against you and those that you have committed? Most Christians, many Christians at least, believe, well, I come to Jesus, I get my sins forgiven, and that's it. Here I go. I'm, I'm just living a Christian life. And then we look at the church in this nation and, and we see how far below its potential in God it is living. And we say we have millions of Christians in this nation, right? Wouldn't you think in a nation where you have millions of Christians that are, that are freely forgiven by God's grace and mercy and living in the, in the complete and holy place and, and anointed and baptized in the Holy Spirit, I mean, wouldn't you think a few short years of that this whole nation would just be converted to Jesus? Something's wrong. And what it is, is the orphan spirit. Because what we do is we come to Jesus and we get forgiven, and then we act as though Jesus can't heal us on the inside. Like father, like son. It's going to be this way for the rest of my life. I stand up and say no in the name of Jesus. Like mother, like daughter. It's just how it is, honey. No. Jesus comes. He's the healer. He heals pain, whether that pain is on the outside in the body or whether that pain is on the inside in the soul. Let me just give you a 
quickly here, Satan's cycle of abuse that he has been using for thousands of years. I just want to unmask it to you here today so that you can see it clearly. How does he keep so many people? I mean, we understand how he keeps people of the world in bondage. I mean, they give themselves over to him and, and all this stuff, right? But how does he keep Christians tied up and in bondage? How does he do this? Number one, abuse causes pain. Everyone understands that. Everyone's been abused in some way. Some of us here today have been abused greatly in our lives. Abuse causes pain. Number two, pain seeks pleasure. Abuse causes pain. Pain seeks pleasure. You see, in a being that was created to receive love and give it away, if that being is not receiving love and not giving it away, it, there's a short circuit of the system. There, there, is a, there is a failure of what was supposed to be happening. And so pain, when it's there in a being that was created to receive love and give it away, is going to have to be compensated by pleasure. And that's exactly what happens. So there's alcohol, and there's drugs, and there's illicit sex. And even among Christians who have conquered those gross sins, there's all kinds of these little things that are, that are out there. Compensations, the pain that was caused by the abuse. I'm just going to do this a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more of this. And number three in this cycle is, of course, these pleasures always lead us into sin. And that leads to more estrangement and more rejection and more alienation. And Satan says, aha, my orphan spirit is working. It's keeping him away from Father. That's his main objective. Friends, I want to tell you today that you were created to receive love and give it away. You were created to be an open pipeline of the blessing and the mercy of God to flow from your lips to flow from your heart, to flow from your mind and your soul, continuously, continuously, all day long. I want to just share with you something quickly here, and then we're going to ask you to respond. This whole matter of judging is a very important thing in this whole business of fathers and this orphan spirit. When you are laboring under the orphan spirit and you are estranged and you are alienated from God, it's constant judgment. Look at that person, they did it wrong. I know you, don't, you guys don't do this here in Chicago, but up in Minneapolis here on our freeways, it really works well with the other drivers. Look at that idiot, he just cut me off! <laughs> Judging the other drivers driving, you know, that's wonderful practice. Constant judgment, constant criticism. And even if it's not constant, it's there. It's a product of the orphan spirit. That estrangement and that alienation and that rejection. But I want to just tell you something today about Father that maybe you haven't grasped yet. In your study of Scripture and in your time of coming to church. 
God the Father in the Old Testament was a mighty and terrible judge. You just read those Old Testament books and you see it over and over again. And it was always just and it was always true. His people broke his laws. They, they flung his holy things back in his face. Time after time and terrible judgments came upon them. We understand that. But friend, then the ages were divided and Jesus stood forth to reveal the new covenant, a better covenant. And in John chapter 5, Jesus says these words, and I want to I ask you to open your heart to receive these words today. Jesus in that chapter says about the Father, the Father judges no one. Say, what? There are people that should be judged. That's right, you're one of them. <laughs> and so am I. <laughs> you know? Every one of us should be judged for our sin. You say, that, that Mosawi over there on the East Coast, he should. Yes, he should. All of us should be judged. Jesus stood up and said, Father judges no one. He has given all judgment into the hands of the Son. That's Jesus himself. Friend, you've got to open your heart to this New Testament revelation. God the Father isn't judging you. The bad things that have happened in your life have not come from Him. In this age we're living in now, Father judges no one. He's given all that judgment into the hands of the Son, and you know what the Son has done with it? You keep reading the story, and by the time you get to the end of that book, the Gospel of John, you find Him laying down on a cross. And he's saying, oh yes, there's judgment, all right. The Father has given it into my hands. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll lay down on this cross, and you can pound nails in my hands and my feet, and I'll take the judgment on myself. And that's what Jesus did. So the next time you're tempted to think that God is judging you and that he is putting sickness on you and that he is putting poverty on you and he's driving you into a corner, remember what I said here this morning. Remember what Jesus said. The Father judges no one. Now there is a thief that has come to kill and to steal and destroy. His name is Satan and the devil. He's come to make you poor. He's come to make you sick. He's come to kill you. That's his main objective. But Jesus came, and he came to give life. And I'm really glad about that here today. Let's give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you all. So the Father judges no one. He's given all judgment into the hands of the Son. The son laid down on the cross and died. And the third day he, he raised from the dead. Then there's the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If there's any judging to be done in the New Testament, Paul tells us in that chapter, he said, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Whoa. So here, here is really the way out of this whole thing. Start to see yourself with Father's eyes. 
Understand that an orphan spirit has been arrayed against you by an enemy who wants to destroy you and that you can break the shackles and chains of that and you can begin to judge yourself. Quit judging your neighbor. Quit judging your spouse. Quit judging your pastor. Quit judging your, your police force here in Chicago. Start judging yourself with righteous judgment and then let the mercy of God come upon you. And you are going to see not only a forgiveness, you are going to see a healing of yourself on the inside. That's what's really awesome. Here's what we're going to do right now. I want to ask everybody to stand up, please. I want to ask you right now, as I've been preaching this today, you know that you have got to get to this Father by Jesus. You know that sin has separated you from Him. Maybe you're here today and you have never come to Jesus for the first time ever. You have never confessed your sins. You have never found this forgiving mercy and this forgiving grace. I'm telling you here today, friend, you can find Him here. His name is Jesus. He's the Savior. He loves you with Father's love. But He not only can forgive you, He can also heal you on the inside where you hurt. There's some of you here today that have been with Jesus before. And now there is a wall and a barrier of sin that is there. You're a prodigal. You, you went away into the far country, but you want to come back. I've got some really good news for you today. When Jesus talked about the prodigal son, He said the father wasn't sitting back there in the house just kind of like this, waiting, well, I wonder if my boy is ever going to show up here. He was looking out the window. This father watches out the window for you, friend, and when he sees you make the first move coming down the lane, <laughs> he runs out of the house and he comes down the lane. He comes with mercy, not judgment. And comes with compassion. And he throws the robe over you, the one you left behind. He takes your hand and he puts on the ring. He says, you're my son. You're my daughter. Welcome home. That's what this father says. If you're here today and either one of these is you, first time to come to Jesus, or you know right now, you've, you've been away, that barrier of sin is there, and you want to come back, I want you to raise up your hand, please, and hold it up. Just raise it up right now and hold it up. That's right, just all over the place. Or just raise up your hand. You're either you're a prodigal, you've got to get back to Jesus. Jesus died on that cross. Jesus took the judgment. He said, Father, I will do it. Thank you. Anyone else this morning who wants to raise your hand? Say, I've got to come back. I've got to come all the way back to that place of Father's mercy and Father's love. All right, I want you to do one more thing. Every person that has raised your hand, I want you to step out from where you are and come down here to the front, please. Just step out from where you are and come on down. We're going to pray a prayer with you. And shackles and chains are going to fall off. And Father's mercy and Father's... That's right, just step out and come. Just step out and come. Everyone who's been away, you've been away in the far country. It's Father's mercy. It's Father's grace. 
We're going to wait for just a moment. There are a few more that need to come. That's right. Come on down here. He loves you. He's not going to beat you over the head with the rod. He's going to say, son and daughter, I want you with me. I want you with me. I want to hold you. I want to protect you. I want to show you my love until you are a person who is continuously, freely, and openly receiving love and giving it away every day. Every day. Is there anyone else? That's right. Step out and come. We're waiting on you. Anyone else that should come right now, just step out and come. Father's here today. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's not going to lift his voice on you. He's not going to hit you. He's a good father. He's the holy father. He's the father of lights that we sang about here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, we're going to pray a prayer together here, and I want everybody in the house right now to pray this prayer, but especially you that are standing here at the front. I want you to pray this prayer out with your mouth, please, right now. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I confess to you that I have sinned, Father. I have left your ways, and I've gone out of your house. But Father, I'm rejected and alone and abandoned. And I know that you are the Father of lights. And I know that you are the Father of mercy. So I come to you today. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to wash me. I ask you to cleanse me on the inside. Father, I ask you to heal my pain. Father, I bring my own father pain to you right now. And I say to you, heal it. And restore me on the inside. In the name of Jesus. I love you, Father. I love you, Son of God, Jesus. I love you, blessed Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We trust this message has been a blessing to your spiritual life. You can contact us with any correspondence or donations for the support of this ministry at Heart of the Father Ministries, P.O. Box 300, Rush City, Minnesota. 55069 or visit us online at heartofthefather.net where you can purchase all of our products or donate online as well. Kingdom blessings on you.